five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We got some big stuff ahead. So stick with me today. And don't hit like, hit share. Likes are worthless. Okay, we already know that. Okay, let's start off with some fun. <laughs> I can't even believe this. It's a love story for trucks. If I had to live my life There's two trucks. You, one says efficiency, one says fun. Two gray Volvo trucks. And they so meet on a cold gray day, and now it's sunny and fun and efficiency. Are combining for love. And then I love this part. The fun part spins around backwards. I think it's CG. Hold me now, touch me now. I don't want to live without you. Just going. There they go off into the sky. Efficiency seems to be the, the female. This is fun. Amy Houston brought that to my attention over at the drum. Story from the World Federation of Advertisers. Nearly 30% of big advertisers will cut budgets in the next year. And 74% agree or strongly agree that, that their budget decisions are influenced by the recession. Um, back, way, way back, when we started doing big data stuff, and no one else was doing it, <laughs> or very, very few people were doing it, um, the IT guy from Daytimers flew in. And uh, he explained to me that, um, well, never mind. Anyway, Bob Dorney, who was the found, one of the brothers that founded Daytimers, told me one time that uh, the way they grew, we're going to talk about growth today, so hang with me. The way they grew was to spend, outspend their competitors in recessions. That when times were good, they would build up a war chest. And when the recession hit, they would outspend everybody else. And that was his story of success through the 40 years or something that he ran uh, daytimers. And I think that's a really interesting perspective. And I think we found that out on the uh, in the pandemic. You know, the brands that sometimes head-to-head -head competitors, the brands that shut down and said nobody's buying this stuff anyway, lost market share. The brands that kept on going saying somebody will figure out a way to buy our stuff um, gained market share. So... One of the interesting things about the data and one of the things I like about this article by Steve McClellan was that um, was that they they explained that there's 43 multinational companies and there's more evidence of potential cut and spend in Europe, Middle East and Africa compared to Asia Pacific and compared to North America. North America said about 21 percent said their companies would cut their budgets um about half said more than 10 percent half said less okay this was part of why i read it today there will also be a further shift from traditional offline media nearly half the respondents are planning to cut offline investment and a quarter are looking to make a significant cut of more than 10 percent in print spend okay so if you're wondering when the paper shortage will ease up this is when. That's what I told people from the beginning. I said, nothing like a recession to ease up the, the paper shortage. Um, but I would also caution you 
and we're going to go on to an excellent article that, um, you know, a third are cutting, but 25% or something, 20-some percent were planning on expanding budgets. Some as much as 10%, uh, about 10% were saying 10% or more expanding their budget. So, um, as usual, it it depends on your company, right? But I'm talking with a company this week about moving some of their digital over to print. And so it's, you know, in fact, I'm talking with about four companies right now that are saying that their digital isn't just, isn't cutting it anymore. It isn't, it isn't growing them. And here's part of why. This is by Tom Roach. And I don't know Tom, but, but, but uh, Mark Ritson mentions him often and sometimes uh, Tom Fishburne. And so I decided that if he's writing it, then I'm going to check it out. So um, beware of return on ad spend, uh, which Tom suggests is sort of a digital thing. But, you know, back when we used to do, when I did a lot of consulting for um, for people on their, on their order processing systems, uh, along with Ernie Shell, I found that many marketers were looking at the, just the, the, the the sales per piece and um, and they called it you know given that they had a cost per piece and they had a sales per piece they called that return on ad spend and it was a dangerous metric I could see right off the bat because we do both we can model on both if all you have is return on ad spend we can figure that out but it's a dangerous mm, it's dangerous because a lot of marketers don't understand that there's other costs involved so they say, well, if I spend a dollar in the mail uh, mailing piece and I get a dollar of sales, then I'm breaking even. And I'm not kidding either. You know, for one of my clients, the the owner said, go down in the marketing department and see if they know what they're doing. And they were doing a, a lot of affiliate advertising. And they told me that, you know, even though they, they, they sent out a million dollars worth of affiliate advertising uh commissions that they generated far more than a million well at least more than a million they didn't say far more they generated more than a million in sales so they thought they were more than break even and uh, you know those guys were pulling down up into the six figures <laughs> three the three digital hotshots so how you measure is important and um, and Tom says ROI and ROS Allies in marketing's anti-growth core or allies, it's hard to tell on that, that word, you can pronounce it either way, uh, are allies in marketing's anti-growth coalition. Coalition. And this is an excellent article. Again, always the articles are up at WDMA.org. We also have a podcast. Yesterday, I mentioned the Louisiana Lottery, and then I changed it to Illinois Lottery later in, the in a, in a follow-up sentence. And so if if you want to get rid of those things, sometimes I edit them out and it makes more sense on the on the podcast. You can download and you can play it at double speed very easily if you want to. Okay, so what are the dangers? Well, first, ROI is dangerous because ROI decreases as you spend more. So um, one of my potential clients, we spent a couple of years talking, and this is normal, years, year after year after year. We should do this. Yes, you should. You seem to be the best. Yes, you are. Yes, we are. 
and then they go with somebody else. But anyway, they were using a consulting firm, and that consulting firm is well-known in the catalog world, and they said, we need to be more profitable. And so the consultant told them, who I actually know, uh, told them, you can't be, you can't increase profits. What did, what did they say? You can't, you can't grow and also increase profits. Now, I know that's not true because I've seen it happen many, many times. You know, we've actually exploded growth about 17 times in my career. And uh, often it has something to do with either the modeling directly or an observation. And so I know there are ways to do it. But in general, if all you do is run the numbers, here's a graph. Since profit, you know, since spending has a return, has a decreasing um De decreasing, you know, you can spend beyond your market, right? You can you can target to people that just aren't interested. And the farther you get from your core, the less efficient, typically, your marketing spend is. And so by cutting back, you can improve the return on investment. So I, when we were just getting started in modeling, I had the privilege of working with Dick Cavella, and I showed him how, that the models showed the various profitability of list segments and that we could cut the list the the ad spend the you know the number the circulation of the customer file we could mail less fewer we could mail fewer customers and we could we could cut 20% out of the customer circulation and only uh and and only lose 5% of profits okay so that's now, in my book, I mentioned that Land's End at a point wanted to cut back, and they cut back um, their overall pages. They keep track of that. And uh, they cut the pages 19%, and sales went down 21% or something close to that. So they weren't very good at cutting. So it isn't guaranteed that by cutting, uh, you will increase return on investment. Uh, John Worth, uh, founder of Woodworker Supply of New Mexico, uh, he said, you know, whenever we chart the the, the results, we see a, a very few really, really good lists, and then we go down and we see lots and lots of mediocre lists. And we think that we can cut these mediocre lists out and we'll do a lot better. Well, you'll have a, a lot smaller mailing, so, so some of the fixed costs will eat you up. Cost per piece will go up dramatically. But in spite of all that, even if you waive all that, then when you graph the results of that of that next mailing where you've cut out all the mediocre lists, the results will go like this. Again, same, looks same. It's the 80-20 rule, you can't get away from it, okay? So cutting to improve ROI is a formula. And it's one that financial, that your financial team may recognize, right? They may say we need more profitability. Um, but, and given that marketing, really doesn't know what causes growth because return on ad spend measures a very, very short time window. It's great in digital. Um, you know, it lends itself to this, okay? And return ad spend likewise. Here comes, what's return on, it's the return, and it's not really like return on investment, but it's, the, it's really the sales that occur during a specific time, some of which would have happened anyway, you know, when... Uh, was it Uber? Uber stopped their advertising accidentally for about seven days, and their sales were unchanged. Procter & Gamble uh, 
changed their digital, they reduced it 40% and sales were unchanged. So there's a momentum in the industry that in, in the universe even that will keep some sales coming. Some sales would have come anyway. And return on ad spend does not show the causal relationship. It just shows you, you spent this and you got this. And it's not necessarily connected to what you're doing. Okay? So, and return on ad spend, the danger is that it's, it's, you, it's calculated using digital attribution. Um, and, you know, there's plenty, I've done plenty of work with you guys on attribution, how dangerous it is. Dangerous it is. But what's really great, back way down at the bottom here, skip over to the bottom because we're going a little long. Um, way down at the bottom, it says, you know, the marketing funnel. It's an excellent article. I recommend it highly. Um, it says, Avinash Kaushik, uh, digital marketing evangelist at Google, wrote an article called Die, Roas Die in 2019. I profoundly like return on ad spend. It distresses me no end that companies and agencies all around the, all around us use ROAS as currency, inflating its value far, far beyond its minuscule value. Okay? What Tom argues, I can't find it now, he argues that n what return on ad spend is not just measuring. It, the, the reason that performance goes up as you cut is that your you're targeting the low-hanging fruit, okay? So it makes it, so, it, you know, it, it was developed, you know, maybe not maliciously so, by the ad tech world to make their platforms look better and perform better than they actually do. It makes it look causal, okay? Um, oh, here's the part I wanted. A high return on ad spend may even mean the opposite of an ad causing a sale. The algorithms finding people who are going to buy anyway. What it really means is, okay, or like hanging out. <clears throat> so it's not just like targeting low-hanging fruit, but targeting falling fruit. Or like hanging outside a shop and tapping shoppers on the back as they enter, then claiming you've enticed them in. It can mean inadvertently prioritizing, and this is the key part, channels based on based more on their technical ability to tag people than their ability to reach or get attention from them so what we're measuring often is not incremental benefit from an ad it's not it's not that this ad attracted people that were that were really you know a new market or on a fringe it's that Return on ad spend often is targeting the people who would have bought anyway. Now, with mail, I mean, part of the reason we use things like this is we don't know what's going on out there. We don't know who saw our ad. We really don't. You know, Facebook can, I mean, you trust them. You trust Google Ad Network or whatever, Google Clicks. Uh, the, you know, that they're delivering clicks, so they must have shown it to somebody. Never mind the bots. Never mind the, the problems with tracking in the digital world just assume that it works as advertised okay you get stuff stuff happens so something must be going on that's kind of all you know but in mail we can actually design we can actually design experiments that isolate causal variables and that's the difference the difference is that the experiment the, 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 the possibility of experimental design uh 
because we know the control, we know the we know the holdout, we know the the uh, the the who's who got the mail, and the people that get the mail see the ad. We know who sees it. We know who's responds and who doesn't. So there's all kinds of benefits in terms of the actual hard information that mail delivers. Now I'm not saying take all your ad, take all your ad spend, take all your digital, throw it in the mail, because mail takes a while to get the real answers but it does get real answers and you can't get real answers just trusting facebook and google it's just impossible because you don't know who saw it and you don't know who was paying attention you know the same with media mass media and outdoor and all the rest no no other advertising do you know they saw it but you do in mail and so that gives us the power to know for sure to isolate and to to isolate causal variables and to know something for sure. And what we've done is we've leveraged that. The modeling multiplies it. So we can look at, at 500 variables at a time per mailing instead of just the split test that you thought of doing, the A-B test. We can look at things that weren't anticipated. We can get surprises that weren't expected. And unlike this idea up here, my daughter once asked me, what did you learn in 20 years of, or 40 years of consulting? I said, you don't tweak to greatness. If you want to grow a company, the answer is not increase or decrease ad spend. The answer is find a new market. Find a new application for your product. Find a surprise. And that's the real answer. And there's story after story after story. I mean, a good one is Plato. You know, I've been looking for these stories, and there, there are plenty of stories, uh, that Plato was invented to clean the uh, coal dust off the walls of houses. You know, in your house, you're running a coal furnace, and it puts out this coal dust, and it's on all the wallpaper, and so you take Plato, it was just kind of a gray stuff, and you can, can roll it on the walls, and it, it, it cleans off the coal dust. Well... As furnaces converted to oil uh, and later natural gas, there wasn't any coal dust. And the house stayed cleaner. So what are we going to do? We don't have this cleaning product. doesn't have an objective anymore. And uh, so one of the kids, <laughs> founder's kids, was tasked with finding new applications. And, you know, I think his kids like to play with it, you know, and it, when my, whenever my third edition comes out, you'll hear the story better told. But, uh, you know, then they put some color in it and, you know, it was a runaway success. That's what causes growth. What causes growth is surprises. And so first you have to know what's going on. Then you have to know for sure that it's, you know, that, it's, that it, can, can, it can create surprising growth. So anyway, like and share. Don't like, just share. Likes are worthless. Shares are great. Thanks for joining me. Have a great day. Bye-bye.